Matthew chapter 12, starting back up in verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man was brought, who was blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And this this is a scene from the life of Jesus, a healing that Jesus is going to use to combat the Pharisees and to teach us something. We see that the crowds were open to the possibility that Jesus was the son of David. That's just another phrase for the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? And while the crowds were open to the possibility, the Pharisees, it's not just that they weren't open to the possibility. The Pharisees were confident in their judgment that Jesus was evil. Did you catch that? See, whereas the crowd say, could this be? The Pharisees say, it is only by Beelzebub. Who's that? He is Satan. It is only by Satan that this man casts out demons. They're not even calling by his name. They're just dripping all right, with hatred, dripping with oppression against him. The Pharisees' attitude was a religious attitude, and it was set against the life-giving nature of Jesus. Jesus just healed a man. I mean, the man was blind and mute, and he just did a miracle. He did a marvelous, wonderful thing. It almost doesn't matter if you agree with him or not. It doesn't matter if he has the same theology as you, if he's of the same race as you, if he, he's from the, went to the same high school as you. If someone comes and does these things, you, that's awesome. You did a really good thing. No, they can't even say that. He did this good thing because he is in league with the devil. That is their conclusion because of their hatred, because of their religious spirit that they have. You may have the religious spirit of the Pharisees too. If you're quick to judge, if you are consistently skeptical or constantly critical of others, when something happens, what goes on in your heart? Do you judge it? Are you critical? Are you skeptical? Now, this doesn't mean that Christians are called to be naive and just accept anything. No, absolutely not. We're not just to accept everything that's packaged in this Christian box with a nice Christian bow and hand it to us and just think that, oh, it's good, it's Christian, it's great, ah, everything's good. No. God is, does not want us to be naive. In fact, our naivety as Christians dishonors our Father. We are called to form opinions with sound judgment. We are called to use reason. We are called to weigh spirits. We are called to exercise spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what we see time and time again from the Pharisees is a moral judgment that puts them in a position of moral superiority over those they disagree with. You see, that is the difference between good Christian discernment and a religious spirit. When you judge others in a sense that puts you over them morally, well, I know the truth, and you just don't understand the way that passage is interpreted. Or, I know the real meaning of this word, and you're just confused. Or, well, I'm more spiritually mature, and I am, 
I've walked with Christ longer than you, so I'll just ignore this little thing that you're doing right now. Even though that might be the right action, it's done with the wrong heart. And that is exactly where the Pharisees are most of the time. In this particular instance, though, they have called the living son of God the devil. It comes from an attitude of religion, which is set against the kingdom of God. Now, the ironic part and the scary part, really, is that they thought their judgments were in service to God. Isn't that ironic? That we can think we are right smack dab in the middle of God's will. We can think we are right smack dab in the middle of the truth. And we can declare something that shows we are anything but. We are walking in the exact opposite direction of God's will. What that should lead us to do is to fervently pray that God would keep our eyes open to our own sin. We should fervently seek the Lord in his face through the scriptures so we can rely on him to lead us rather than judging the things that go on around us. Jesus goes on to refute their claims. And it's amazing. He just uses basic logic. Watch this. Picking back up at verse 25, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Everyone knows that an army that has its soldiers fighting against each other are not going to accomplish their mission. And Satan knows this as well. Jesus goes on, and... If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It doesn't make sense that the devil would be against the devil. And if you say it does make sense, then you condemn your own sons, all right? By sons here, he probably means pupils, right? The disciples, the follow your, your followers, the, the students you have that you're teaching, that you're pouring your lives into, when they go and they cast out demons, if I'm doing it by Satan, who do they do it by? Logic itself is going against your condemnation. Your judgment is idiotic. It's foolish. And if it is, then there is only one option left. The coming of the kingdom of God is at hand. Because the kingdom of God is the defeat of Satan and evil. So here's Jesus casting out a demon, doing good, giving life. And they're saying that Satan's doing that himself. They are so far removed from the kingdom of God. Their goals are not lined up with the goals of their God because they focus too much upon the rules, upon who they want the Messiah to be, 
rather than who God said he's going to be. Jesus continues his rebuttal. Picking it back up at verse 29. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And he who does not scatter with me, or excuse me, he does not gather with me, scatters. <clears throat> Jesus explains here what he's doing. I am cleaning house so that I can take back what is mine. I have come here to usher in the kingdom of God and to bind Satan and his demons and do good so that I can take back what is mine. Satan is the strong man in this metaphor. And Jesus has come to plunder his kingdom. The, this is the ultimate ultimatum. No one is neutral in this battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. Jesus does not want to give you the choice. He does not want to think you have the choice that you can just sit back and wait to see who's going to win this and jump in at the last minute on which side you think is going to win. If you are not with me, you're against me. If you're not going to gather, if you're not going to be about the good things that I'm doing, then you're someone who's scattering. You're someone who's causing chaos. You're someone who is, you are actually with the devil if you're not with me. There's no greater ultimatum given. You're either with Jesus, you're either for Jesus, or you are against him. How do you bind the strong man? Jesus came to bind the strong man. How does he do it? You do it the same way he does it. Did you know that? You show mercy. We just read last week the quote from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How do you bind the strong man? You do good. We read last week, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Do good. Show mercy. You give life. You believe the truth and you share the truth. In Sunday school, we're going through John Mark Homer's Live No Lies. The power of an idea can determine your whole life. Is that idea in line with the truth or is it a lie that you believe? So you may not realize it, but when you believe the truth, you are actually conquering the kingdom of hell because you are eliminating Satan of his greatest tool to cause chaos in your life. You are eliminating the tool of destruction. His go-to weapon is lies. And when you choose to believe the truth of God's word over the lie that he's telling you, you are binding the strong man. And you can compound that effort when you also share that truth with your husband or wife, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your neighbor, with whoever you come across. Are you a voice of truth in this world of lies? That is how you can bind the strong man. Whoever gathers with Christ is with the kingdom of God. But whoever scatters is with the kingdom of Satan. Jesus continues. <clears throat> he says, therefore, 
So everything he's just said, all the logic he just used, it doesn't make sense that I'm doing this by the power of Satan. And if you're not with me, you're against me. So therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. That's, that's intense. What in the world is he talking about? There's some... There can be some serious confusion here, so I'm going to try to break it down for you in the way I understand Jesus' words. He says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. So there's sin and blasphemy in general will be forgiven. Sin and blasphemy, um, first, we need to remember, okay, we don't want to pull this out of context. He's not saying that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven no matter what. That's pulling this out of the context of the rest of Scripture. He's saying that every sin and blasphemy that's repented of and that is covered by the blood of Jesus will be forgiven. Okay, that's first. Okay. Second, blasphemy has to do with words, whereas sin is an action or even an attitude. So he's saying in general, all right, there is forgiveness for our sinful words, our sinful actions, and our attitudes through the blood of Jesus. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is more egregious because it is a direct affront upon God's word. For example, Jesus could only heal the demon-possessed man because the Spirit of God was resting upon him. All right? We just read last week the quote from Isaiah. All right? Um, in which Matthew includes to show who the Messiah is. Right? He was comparing the Messiah against the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And the quote says, I, this is God speaking through Isaiah, prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, I will put my spirit upon him, the Messiah. All right. And then there are other prophecies um, also found in Isaiah that also talk about God putting his spirit upon the Messiah. Right. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because I was appointed, or excuse me, because I was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So see, we always think about Jesus being able to do all these wonderful miracles because he was the son of God, because he was God in the flesh. But we read in Philippians that when Jesus came down to earth, he humbled himself, meaning he lowered himself to take on our flesh. And in doing so, while he was still God, he did not utilize his God-like abilities. Rather, he relied on the Spirit of God. Meaning, God the Father sent his Son down to earth. And it was basically like, I cringe a little bit theologically to say this, but to get my point across, he kind of clipped his wings, so to speak. And so God sent his Spirit to empower his Son so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Son and God the Father would be connected and Jesus has the power to do the things that he did. So the reason Jesus was able to heal, perform miracles, and even forgive, in a sense, is because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So, 
The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is saying that God's good work, which Jesus is performing, is actually the work of Satan. All right, and this is exactly what the Pharisees are doing. All right, he gives an example in that next, that next verse. All right, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. It is important to note that not everyone who speaks a word against Jesus will be forgiven. Only those who believe and repent. There are those who have spoken against Christ in their ignorance or in their hatred or they were in a wrong spot. And over time, the Holy Spirit worked on them and changed them. And they profess him as Christ and Savior and Lord. And all their formal, all their former rejection of him is forgiven. The difference here between speaking a word against the Son of Man and a word uh, against the Holy Spirit is that when he talks about speaking against the Spirit, it's not speaks a word, it's speaks. This is a continuing action. This is not a one-time deal. This is not something has changed. This is a continual speaking against the power of God, speaking against who God is. So this shows that Someone who says Jesus isn't the Christ may yet be convinced otherwise and turn from their ignorance and be saved. But speaks, on the other hand, shows someone who is adamant in their ways with a heart set against God and the things of God. This has become a way of life for them. So much so that they begin to call good evil. And they call evil good. All right, there, this person is unable to repent, all right, because they have placed themselves in a position to be the moral judge of God. All right, they cannot repent because repentance requires humility, and you can't be humble when you think you know everything. All right, we're talking about a person of whom the phrase blessed are the poor in spirit does not make sense. A person who does not know what it means to humble themselves. This is a continuing attitude of arrogance and rejection of God. And it's due to a state of heart that calls evil good and good evil. And that is the ultimate sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not something someone does by accident, right? You don't, you don't need to worry. It's not something you just do once and all chances of forgiveness evaporate before your very eyes. That's not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. All right, Jesus is not saying that there is a certain phrase that if you say it, you're done. I mean, you might as well be in hell right now, right? That's not what he's saying, all right? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a direct result of an obstinate, obstinate, continued rejection of the things of God. And it leaves one blind to the goodness of God, and it also leaves one blind to the evils of Satan. All right? It becomes a status of their heart. Right? We talked in um, Sunday school, we're talking about ideas and how they, be, they become mental maps. All right? This is kind of their mental map. This is the way they think. This is the way they feel. This is the way they behave. All right? It's a status of heart and mind 
that confuses reality between good and evil, and it leaves the person caught in their own arrogant web of lies. They are left unable to see their own sin, so they are not able to humble themselves and turn and be forgiven. This was the status of the Pharisees Jesus was talking to. They had committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because they were so confused. They lived in a web of lies so long. They were so arrogant, so proud of themselves. They couldn't even recognize their own sin. And if you can't recognize your own sin, you can't humble yourself and repent. So there is no forgiveness. Again, the ironic thing is that they thought they were religious. The ironic thing is that they had memorized books of the Bible. They would run circles around them if we had a conversation about God's word. They looked forward to God's promises. They believed in deliverance. Yet, when face to face with the Messiah, they called him the devil. Why? Because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted, but he was the Messiah they needed. How do you know Jesus is the Messiah? If he were to walk in, how would you recognize him? If you are proud, if you think you've got it all together, if you are 100% confident in everything you believe, and Jesus comes in and he says something different, you will reject him. There has to be humility in the life of a person in order to accept Christ. Jesus isn't always the Messiah we want, but he is the Messiah we need. The final paragraph here that we're going to cover this morning is Jesus' teaching from this account. Right? I mean, he has just laid into these people. All right? Talk about being so incredibly frustrated. I mean, Jesus had to choose his words very carefully. And this is what he chooses to say. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This concept of the tree and the fruit should sound familiar because Jesus used it in the Sermon on the Mount back in chapter 7. Yes, that was a long time ago. (laughs) We take our time sometimes. The type of fruit a tree produces does not determine the kind of tree. Rather, the kind of tree determines the kind of fruit produced. Therefore, how can the Pharisees, who have evil in their hearts, speak good things about Jesus? And then Jesus gives the spiritual reality by which Jesus makes this claim. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. By heart, Jesus is referring to a person's inner life. Right? It includes their mental and spiritual self. It's, it's really an all-inclusive term. Like We kind of separate people out. You, know, you have your, your cognition, your thinking, you have your decision-making, then you have your planning, and you have your feelings, your emotions, you have your will, you have the things you want. The term heart is an all-inclusive term. Right? It draws a big circle around that and says everything. Everything a person is, their feelings, their thinking, their desires. What the heart is full of determines what someone says. Jesus talks about our treasure. What comes out of us shows what's important to us. Right? When I'm willing to drive 100 miles an hour to get to church and my daughter's about ready to throw up in the back, what does that show is important to me? Being on time and not her comfort. So I slow down so she doesn't throw up and I don't want to make a mess. When you're living your life and things happen in your life and they irritate you, take notice. Take notice. Notice because that says something about you. What is important to you? What comes out of you in those moments is not a fluke deal. That is a part of who you are. He tells of the good things. Oh, excuse me. Our actions reveal more about us than anything we might say. And yet, our speech itself is an action. I just not heard that. <laughs> I don't know if that's anybody's, but... Who we are is we can't divide ourselves up. Well, at this moment, I was really frustrated because such and such happened, so I acted this way. But, you know, I mean, I'll kind of scratch that out because that's excusable. No. Right? Nothing is excusable. You are who you are before God. What comes out of you shows what is inside of you. I know, I know a man who's a very smooth talker, and perhaps you know someone like that too. He'll tell of all the good things that he's done, and he knows how to influence you to make you feel good about him too. And one of the ways he does that is he will talk to you in a way that makes you feel really good about yourself so there's a good experience and then you feel good about him. But over time, as you hear him and you watch his life, you realize that he is about one thing, himself. One point in time, he told me he didn't have a divorce because he didn't want to have to spend the money. Had nothing to do with love. Had everything to do with the bottom dollar. A little lie there to make himself look good. A little stretch over there to make you feel good so you like him too. And even though his words sound good and his actions look good, the common theme develops as you get to know him better. Time reveals the treasure of his heart is actually himself. And I don't know that because he told me. (laughs) He would never say that. I've learned it from experience. His words and his actions reveal his heart over time. 
Jesus hits this idea home when he says that God will even judge every careless word. That is a passage that makes me tremble. I will never speak again. God will judge every careless word. Even those words that seem insignificant. Those words said in a flippant manner when we weren't thinking about what we were saying. Those words that we said when we didn't contemplate the effects that they would have on the person that we were talking to. Our words are extremely important. In fact, I would say our words are more important to God than our words are to us. The Bible has plenty to say about the words that come out of us. I'm just going to read a couple passages for you. Proverbs 10:11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Again in Proverbs, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Again in Proverbs, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Again from Proverbs, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And finally from James, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to direct them. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set, abl- is set among our members. It's staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with with it, we curse people who are made in his likeness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things should not be so. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear both olives and grapes? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What comes out of your mouth says something about what is in your heart. Jesus says, out of the heart of the mouth speaks. And so he concludes, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. We always talk about how God will open us up like a book that he sees through your facade. He sees through your lies. He sees through your heart and he knows you better than you know yourself. But you know what? He doesn't have to know any of that 
to be able to declare you righteous or to condemn you. All he has to do is listen to you. All he will have to do is play a recording of what we've said in our lives. God will not have to look at anyone's heart on the day of judgment. There is a portal between your tongue and your heart. Your tongue is a screen revealing what is in your heart and God knows every word you've ever spoken. Even in our, you can't know my heart. You don't know me, culture. We don't actually believe that catchphrase. You want to know why? How do you get to know somebody? Someone comes up and asks you, hey, do you know so-and-so? Well, I've seen them. I've been around them a little bit, but I don't really know them. Okay, what would it take for you to know them? Have conversations with them. Spend time with them and listen to them. See, even we, in our you-don't-know-me culture, you-can't-know-my-heart culture, even we know enough about relationships to know that's not actually true. How you get to know someone is by listening to them. And God is the best listener. Look, that is both comforting and terrifying. The Pharisees thought themselves to be good people who knew God and loved him, and yet, and yet their own ears were deaf when it came to their mouths. Here they were condemning the Son of God as Satan. Here they were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath when they were conspiring murder. God doesn't just hear who we say we are. Like we can try to convince a stranger that we're a good person and they've known us for five seconds. God hears us. He is always listening to you and to me. The comforting part about that is that he is the best listener. You can pour your heart out to him. You don't have to hide anything. You can be free to share every fear, every concern, every aspiration, every hurt, every pain. And he hears it all. And when you come to him in humility, he heals and he forgives and he renews. So pour your heart out to him. Pour your heart out to him and plead with him that he would make you a good tree. That he would make you a good spring that pours out wisdom and life. Pray to him that he would turn you into a righteous one. A saint, his own child. That you would produce fruit for the glory of God. That you would join Christ. You would be for him binding the strong man. You would be for him and gathering others into his kingdom. Because Jesus Christ came to earth to destroy the works of the devil. And we're either going to come on board with that mission and be an active participant. Or we're going to be against him. The choice is yours. Let's pray.